0: Hey, Merry Christmas, and welcome back to another edition of Patriot to the Core Podcast. Today is episode number 86, and I've got retired Air Force Combat Controller Gene Adcock on the show to talk about his new book, Combat Control Team History. Since joining the Air Force in 1955 and retiring in 77, Mr. Adcock has continued to contribute to the CCT career field. This book is just another example with its estimated 800 pages, a weight of 10 pounds and about 12 inches by 12 inches. So it's a mammoth. Gene gives us a brief history of combat control dating back to its origins in World War II. Some of these operations will sound familiar to you. uh, Operation Varsity, Operation Overlord, Carpetbaggers, all from World War II, and then the ill-fated rescue attempt codenamed Desert One, from the Iranian hostage crisis. It's probably safe to say that Air Force combat controllers have been part of all major conflicts where the U.S. has been involved. It's also probably safe to say that most of the time, very few people know that controllers are part of those missions, including the Philippines, Korea, Vietnam, Grenada, Panama, Haiti, Afghanistan, and Iraq. So hope you enjoy. I really appreciate Gene coming on the show, uh, we're trying to boost some pre-sales of his book. Anything that I or my family can do to help to support him, we want to do. So thank you. I hope you enjoy, and have a great Christmas season. Okay, Gene, thank you for joining Patriot to the Corps for the very first time. Uh, why don't you tell us about the book?
1: Okay, Thad, Let me just do a little introductory thing here, real quick. Uh, first of all, and first and foremost, I want to thank uh, the Mark Forrester Family Foundation for the website honoring their son, Senior Airman uh, Mark Forrester. You know, as as most of you or many of you will know, Mark was lost in action in September 29, twenty ninth, two thousand and ten. The the website that has been designed for him provides a great deal of uh, information about Mark, and I suggest everybody go ahead and and visit the website so they'll understand the capabilities that this young airman had and learn about this outstanding young leader. As a side note, uh, this story is covered in great detail in my book. Uh, Second, I want to thank you, Thad, for contributing $1,000 to my book production fund. I, I really do appreciate it. We, we need every dollar that we can get to uh, fund the production of the book. Also, I thank you for hosting the podcast where I hope we can generate even a little bit more money for the project. Finally, just a note to the audience, the availability of my presentation on Facebook pages Gene Adcock and HF are there so you can follow my presentation and pick up those things that I really don't include in the presentation so it fills it out for you more. I don't want to take up too much time, but all the information that I intended for you to get will be available online to you.
0: Great, great, and, okay. and you're very welcome. We're very thankful to be able to help out with the, the publication of this book and looking forward to getting our copy. Have, we have "I've the Storm, uh, uh-huh. We got that one early on. Once uh-huh. we got, once we were really into the community after Mark's death, um, we, we have we have one or two copies of it. So this one looks like a mammoth, heavy, maybe ten pounds, <laughs> twelve by yeah, twelve. Yeah, that, that's so exactly
1: right. Uh, and the people who are doing it for us uh, were concerned that they were going to have to. They didn't know what they was going to do, so they went to an extra large size book, if you will, uh, and that's... Problem uh, has been overcome, so that won't be a problem now.
0: So the book is U.S. Air Force Special Tactics Combat Control History. So it's, I guess, it's its entire history from 1944 at least until 2020. If, if that's not right, correct me. But go ahead and please tell us the background of combat control.
1: Okay, the uh, the uh, dawning of uh, Air Force combat control teams uh, was actually in 1945. And varsity. Varsity signaled the first airborne assault into Germany and it was also the first employment of U.S. Army Air Force combat controllers in battle. Earlier, the uh, Air Force's troop carrier commanders had grown weary of criticism for, from uh, Army Airborne commanders and mission planners who had complained of poor air drop performance in Normandy and Holland. So for the final push into Germany, the commanders elected to discontinue the use of army pathfinders and form their own forward operating command and control teams, and they call them combat control teams at that time. There's a lot of details in the book that I'm not going to cover right now, but I just want to give you a couple highlights on that. Uh, Varsity execution was covered in the book Into the Valley. By Colonel uh, Young, and uh, there was also a follow-up to his book by John Warren, who did a report on the airborne operations in World War II, and together they kind of give you the the background, if you will, for combat control. Uh, Young said in the uh, the first operation, Varsity, two combat control teams and one spare. In case of accidents or casualties, were landed opposite ends of LZ November to operate several assault zones, DZs and LZs for the 18th Airborne Corps. Years later, Dr. Warren said that in his 1956 report, the airdrop phase provided a remarkable, uh, proved to be a remarkable success. Upon completion of the initial airborne assault, the combat control team followed the 18th Airborne Corps units during their advance toward Berlin. Over the following weeks, the combat control supported aerial resupply and medical evacuation operations, and in the book, uh, scores of photos provide documentation and Visual views of some of the things that they did to support the operation going into Germany.
0: For clarification, for some people, um, you used a few acronyms: LZ and DC. So, DZ, I guess, is drop zone. LZ is landing zone. Is that right? That's
1: that's correct. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh huh. You know, when you talk about these things every day for 50, 60 years, uh, they become part of yeah. your vernacular, and I forget about the real people out there who <laughs> support <right>. us. <laughs> what makes this book so important? Well, I, th- I think because it summarizes the U.S. Air Force Special Operations Force's legacy uh, in preparation for Operation Overlord, which was another World War II operation, uh, uh, cross-channel invasion into France, small numbers of Special Operations Forces Began infiltrating Europe in as early as 1942. Eventually, the uh, special operators needed their own clandestine uh, air insertion capability. And uh, in August of 1943, General Carl Spatz, uh, at the time he was the North African Air Force's commander, allocated B 50. D-17 bombers to support the OSS, or the Office of Strategic Services, and they provided a lot of uh, support to an Army unit called the Carpetbaggers. Concurrently, General Harry Hap-Arnold, Commander of the Air Forces, the CBI, which is the China, Burma, India theater, did about the same thing. So they got the Special Ops, program started and that really just evolved into what we have today. Today we have the same operations, massively updated of course, that are going on, that have gone on in Grenada, Panama, other places in and around the world if you will. One of the biggest things was the ill-fated rescue attempt that did not make it past the initial landing stage was Desert One operation that ushered in a new era in AFSOC. Following this failed mission, congressional pre- uh, precedence and support from key leaders within Department of Defense established and led the creation of U.S. SOCOM, and it's that that the Air Force component, AFSOC...
0: Gene, when you say Desert One, are you talking about, you know, the early 90s, Desert Storm?
1: In Desert uh, One, the um, American military was unable uh, unable to respond to the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis. That was worked out. In the end, it came out that the Desert One operation became the baseline, if you will, for what has happened today with Air Force Special Operations Command, which actually evolved from Desert One. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. So you're talking about Iranian hostage crisis in 79.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I'm sorry I confused you there.
0: No, no, you didn't. I just heard Desert One and my mind went to, to Desert Storm. So.
1: Right, okay.
0: Okay, so what about more of, like, what's the purpose of the book?
1: Well, primarily the it's to document and preserve combat control history, which... Covers 75 years from 1944 to 2020. Uh, The book tracks CCT transition from uh, the Army World War II years, if you will, and our first operation or mission was in the Air Force was the Aerial Port Squadron operations. Now. Aerial port operations is not where we should have been, but they just put us there so that we would have some oversight, a way to get money, and those kinds of things. Over the years, we transitioned from that, and we are, of course, today in ASOC, Air Force Special Operations Command. And so that is where we was able to grow and become the force that we are today. I guess in summary, uh, we're celebrating eight decades of combat control history, and the book is now is packed with now declassified stories of the combat control operations over more than 75 years. And uh, it, the book itself gets into a great deal of, di- of discussions on what actually happens or what actually did happen to make the combat control teams and get them where they are today, if you will.
0: We all know how important pre-sales are for books. How have they Uh, gone?
1: Well, pre-sale books have lagged expectations, actually, uh, because we've had a lack of access to hundreds of uh, the global war on terror or the GWAT warriors, which is you know, 20 years of operating in Mm. Afghanistan. And so those guys apparently are not getting the word that the book is out there or they just think that they don't want to buy it or I don't know what their problem is. But I want to get this book out to everybody's hands because it's going to become a baseline, if you will, for combat control history over a long period of time. So we need to... Get them activated and get them in business to, to buy the book. Yes, yeah,
0: certainly. Well, hopefully this helps.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hope it does.
0: Another question I had initially when I found out about this book was, how is it different from Eye of the Storm? And I'm not sure. Have you had two volumes of Eye of the Storm?
1: Yeah, there's been two volumes of Eye of the Storm. And when I came around to this, the newer book, there were so many uh, – Afghan stories in the book that I had to fall back and regroup and rename the thing, and so now we have the same two books is in the book uh, is in the this book the, the volume one and volume two is in there, and the Afghanistan stories are approximately half of the 800 page book. So there's a lot of Afghan stories involved in the book that uh, will be delivered.
0: Wow, you said 800 pages?
1: That's that's the estimate. We won't know until we actually see it, but this is what the company is working with is it will be 800 pages, and they're estimating a weight of about 10 pounds. So it's going to be a big book, and it's going to have a lot of information.
0: Yeah, so are there other books that you know of that are comparable, like that own more well-known forces like the Green Berets and Seals and Rangers and Delta Force?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, all it takes is a visit to uh, Amazon.com, and, and you'll find that there's more than a dozen. Uh, probably my favorite is the U.S. Special Operations Forces, which was written by Ben Shimmer and uh, Colonel John uh, T. Carney. Uh, a long-time combat controller, those books are available today today at rather deep discount prices. So if if you want to see and read a good book that is kind of like what I'm doing, uh, you can go on to Amazon.com and order one of those books. I, I ordered one recently for about five bucks. And it's a real bargain today, but back in the day when it was brand new, it was, like my book, it was fairly expensive.
0: U.S. Fish Operations Forces, that one's very familiar. I'm pretty sure I read that one, but I need to see it just to make sure. Uh-huh.
1: It's a great book. It's its just not, it's totally different than what uh, my book is doing.
0: And by the way, I've invited John Carney on the show, and he—he he's agreed. We just haven't ever really linked up yet. But they call him Coach. Is that right?
1: Oh, yeah. He's Coach. I uh, uh, I knew him as a captain when he first came in the combat control. He was at uh, down in uh, Texas. Can you name, remember the name of the base down there? But that's where he started. But over the years uh, after I had retired, uh, I kept touch with him and uh, often visited him when he was at Polk Air Force Base uh, in the special ops team there. And he he's quite a guy. He really is.
0: Yeah. Well, what about the Combat Control School Heritage Foundation? How What is that, and how is it connected with this book?
1: The book, if you will, is basically written by the CCSHF. The Combat Control Heritage Foundation is an IRS-certified North Carolina registered 501c3, uh, a tax-exempt company, uh, and the only mission that the CCSHF has is to support the objectives of the combat control school. In, in, in this role, they, the foundation is it works in concert with the, the combat control school staff <clears throat> to acquire, refurbish, and uh, display artifacts and those sorts of things exhibited at the Benini Heritage Center, which is the name of the exhibits that we have in the schoolhouse. Uh, one of the most recent additions we had is a statue of Master Sergeant John Chapman commemorating his posthumous Medal of Honor award. My book has about, I'm estimating, 100 pages dedicated to the activities around John Chapman and his Medal of Honor <clears throat> award, plus all the follow on things that happened. The follow-on issues that happened after uh, the initial award was made, uh, there was a lot of other awards like at the like School and those kinds of places that were the finalization of the celebration of Chapman's legacy. Uh, the foundation's key goals is to supplement the students' formal education by putting a human face on the CCT history, bolstering Active duty morale and supporting U.S. Air Force recruiting and retention goals for special operations and special tactics operators. Did I confuse you on that?
0: No, not at all, no sir. <laughs> okay. Gene, are there any? You've written several books. Are there any that you want to highlight here?
1: Yeah, I've, uh, over the years, I've provided a lot of input uh, to uh, the Air Commander Air Commando Journal, uh, of course. The book that I was writing had tons of just small two- and three-page stories about combat controllers, so I've, I've shuffled a lot of the stories onto the journal so that they could use them. And they, in, in their second edition, had three of my articles in, in the second edition of their new book, if you will. Mhm. Uh, probably my biggest uh, book that I've written was uh, actually under contract for a company in New York City, and it was uh, Electro-Optical Surveillance. I was a long-time uh, electro-optics uh, sales guy, and they were putting together a 12-volume library, for, for lack of a better term. I provided the Electro-Optic uh, Surveillance Volume 3, if you will, for the 12, uh, 12 encyclopedia set commissioned by the uh, CCS Security Source Library. And it turned out to be a 700-page book, so I'm accustomed to doing the big books. I've also written a lot of uh, other issues and uh, stories about a number of things, but I'm not going to dwell on those. They will be available online, so... If you're really interested in that kind of detail, it'll I'll have it on, on the Facebook page.
0: Yeah, and I'll have those listed too. What about maybe in to wrap it up, like some of your greatest
1: accomplishments? Well, you know, I, I, I worked with combat control for years uh, after I retired, and I had worked with a tech sergeant by the name of Tony Tino. Uh, and he ended up down at Hulbert, and he became a first lieutenant, so I was working some projects for him. And he was working specifically at capabilities that would allow them to identify their forces through night vision goggles at long ranges. The most highly recognized combat identification device that people know today is the black and tan American flag. People think, I guess, that it's nothing more than a flag uh, to identify the people when they're wearing them, but they're actually infrared, uh, covert infrared reflective markers that can be detected by AC-130s and other equipped night vision capable operators uh, of both on the ground and, and in the air. And so, uh, millions of these IR flags were sold uh, under the moniker Quick Fix Thermal Identification for the Gulf Wars. Historically, uh, America's combat fratricide, which is the death rate from friendly fire, has averaged 15% in all of its wars since World War I. As a result of the quick fix uh, success, the U.S. Army Program Manager for Combat Identification declared that the Gulf War fratricide rate to be less than 2%. Thus, thousands of Americans and allied lives may have been saved by simple Velcro attached American flag and its companion combat control or combat uh, ID devices really paid a, played a bigger service, a, a bigger role, if you will, in the wars to save lives that originally, previously, lost to friendly fire. And, you know, friendly fire is never friendly, of course. Mm-hmm. And with them, I really have kind of just run out of things to talk about.
0: <laughs> That's very interesting. So is it called the Quick Fix Suite, or what do you call those little ID? Our well, tanks. yeah,
1: they they put a bunch of things together. There were thermal panels and stuff like that. And the Combat ID uh, program manager, he, he just called the, the whole grouping of, I don't know, it must have been about 15 different items. They just called it a quick fix suite of anti-fratricide equipment or devices. Okay.
0: All right. Well, Gene, anything else?
1: No, I don't think so. I just... Uh, if you're going to be doing something here, put some information in there about my book order information, and maybe we can get a few more books out of this.
0: Gene, when did you join the Air Force?
1: I went in in uh, 1955, and I retired in 1977. So I had 20 years in, in, in the Air Force. Uh, the last 15 years were combat control. I did the entire Vietnam-era program. We started out in Vietnam, of course, but uh, later on I was in Special Ops and and worked missions up in Laos and and the places we weren't supposed to be at the time.
0: That's great. You just got a plethora of knowledge here in history, and so the book to me seems seems like there's a these the old guys should really really like it because it goes back to the beginning and plenty of time here in World War II and uh, Vietnam and and plenty of other yeah you had said. Information that was, that's decl- now declassified. So right. this is awesome. I think the, now look, just as an outsider looking in, most people don't know about combat controllers. And most of the time when I talk to people, you know, when they ask me about my brother and what he did, mm-hmm. and when I tell them what he was, mo- and if they say, oh yeah, I know what that is. Now, most of the time, I, I don't think they do. I don't believe them. Now, if they were, the, some of them that were in the, the military, or some parts of the military, than, than they know, but I, I know that I was at a fundraiser a few weeks ago in, in Texas, and it's Combat Control Foundation is raising money for the Combat Control Association, I believe, anyway, and so they, right. they mm-hmm. had a really successful uh, fundraiser, and there were people there, and a guy came to me and said, he thought I was a combat controller because of the shirt I had on, but he said, what Right? What, what are y'all called again? What, why do people not know about you? and and so that's that's what I think they're doing a good thing because they're trying to get the word out. And then now with this movie coming out, the John Chapman movie, and
1: right, that's going to
0: mm-hmm. highlight him and combat control here in I think 23, 2023. then that's this is good timing on the book.
1: Yeah, uh, I kind of worked uh, things together to uh, tie to the book, tie the book to the movie. You know, so I, I try to link those things together in hopes that, that that will act to get more sales, if you will, for my book. So the book itself is is the greatest thing since live spread, and of course that's my thought, but I hope to find that a lot of people who get the book will be surprised at what is in the book and how well it covers things that they wouldn't think would be there, because I, I drew... Things from a lot of different sources that most people aren't even aware of. So I think they'll be satisfied and amazed. To to make it simple.
0: Good. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate the information that that you put in there about Mark. Look forward to seeing mm-hmm. that, and and thank you for your service. I don't know. You're you're one of the one of the leaders. You know, in the community, and one of the old timers that was in the early started out in the early days of the program, and. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much and for your continued support to the community and to us, to, to the families like, like my family.
1: Well, let me just say this. You know, it's nice to do the things, but it's nice to have people like you out there beating the drums, trying to let the people understand what we do. So I appreciate the things that you do. So keep up the great work.